Christina from Gravel Trap F1 here, and I've got some big news. As you're well aware, Formula One is not the only open wheel racing out there. So, the Gravel Trap is expanding its repertoire into IndyCar with a new podcast called Gravel Trap Indy, hosted by myself and our newest member of the Gravel Trap family, Justin Reschke. That's right, Christina. If you're a longtime IndyCar fan or an F1 fan who's been curious about Indy but don't know enough about it yet, we're making a show for you. We'll be covering both current events, races, driver market news, as well as digging deep into the rich history of IndyCar to recount some of the most exciting stories ever to come out of the sport. Join us. It's going to be a blast. Look for Gravel Trap Indie wherever you get your podcasts. But there is always the possibility that they might be forced into calling back Nick DeVries because he's on their roster and he's one of only four drivers that they can call to be in those seats. Honestly, if anybody's good at like performing under unusual circumstances, it's Nick DeVries. So... I'm Caroline, and that's Christina. And this is Gravel Trap F1. The summer break is finally over. It was so good, but I'm really glad to be back. Me too. And the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend rang in the second half of the season with a lot of action. Very true. Between Danny's broken hand and the rain coming and going, it was really nerve-wracking. So, for this week's Formation Lap, we discuss how the reserve driver system works. In the Grand Prix segment, we look at the often chaotic but very heroic history of the Zandvoort circuit. At the checkered flag, we take a beat and chat about what kind of mischief we got into during the break. And we take a look at the latest results of our listener polls. Listeners, we missed you all so much. So, so much. Thank you guys for joining us each week. Hit it, Buck. Welcome back. And man, did we come back with a bang because I think we all thought that the Dutch GP was going to be just the max show. Not that it wasn't the max show because it was, (laughs) but it definitely was not boring by any means. I'm going to need to rewatch that race. And I know I say that every single time we have a European (laughs) race because I'm watching it at like 6 a.m. But this one, I feel like I really need to rewatch it. Not because I wasn't paying attention. Not because I wasn't awake. Although I did sleep during the red flag period. I napped. Mm -hmm. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But just because there was so much that happened. Like this is one that you have to rewatch to catch all the little details. Christina, what are you going to talk about with us today on the Formation Lap segment? Well, this week we saw a reserve driver coming into play. Liam Lawson had to jump into the AlphaTauri car starting Saturday morning because in FP2, Danny Rick tragically hurt his hand. He drove into a barrier trying to avoid um, colliding with Oscar Piastri, who was also in the barrier and partially on track. So Daniel chose the barricade instead of Oscar and uh, just didn't release his steering wheel soon enough. Damaged his left metacarpal. He has had surgery. He's on the mend, which... We're eternally grateful for and wishing him the swift recovery. Get well soon, Daniel. But that also means we got to see a reserve driver in Liam Lawson come to track. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people just tend to have questions about what exactly does a reserve driver do, particularly because teams sometimes just have different names for their reserve drivers. They'll call them the third driver or the reserve or test and reserve driver. And mm-hmm. it can just get confusing for what is essentially just picking and choosing what jobs and roles these drivers have. Yeah, because can the teams have multiple test drivers? I feel like mm-hmm. 
I've seen teams having multiple test drivers, but they're not all a reserve driver. Exactly. So they basically have all of these jobs that they want to do and different teams will split it however they feel makes the most sense amongst themselves. So for example, Aston Martin has reserve and test drivers in Drugovic and um, Stoffel Van Dorn. Mm-hmm. Which Drugovic which <laughs> is an exceptional talent that you everybody should be keeping their eyes on because I'm excited for when he gets a chance to get behind the wheel because he's so good. Exactly. But basically, their test drivers are the ones that are looking at the setup of the car and figuring out things on the sim. So that way they don't have to entirely depend on their full-time drivers because they have a lot on their plates already. And then you have the reserve drivers and their job is to, yes, go on the sim and be familiar with any of the racetracks they're assigned because they don't have to be prepared for the full calendar. And they basically just go on the sim and they make sure that they're familiar with the tracks. So that way, if they're needed, they can hop into the car. And they also do travel to a number of the race weekends because a reserve driver is no good if they're not at the track. Mm -hmm. To fill in when they need them. Case in point this weekend. Exactly. And again, like we were talking about with Aston Martin, they can have more than one reserve driver per team because a lot of the times reserve drivers will be junior drivers in their academy. And so they're also competing in F2 or they're also competing like Stoffel Van Dorn in Formula E. So you have all of these just schedule things where maybe yes, maybe no, you just you sometimes just have multiple reserve drivers for your team. And sometimes you also have deals where I say this as if I'm on the team myself, but (laughs) teams will frequently also have deals to share their drivers. So for example, Mercedes has the main contract with Mick Schumacher. He, they get priority to his services, but they also share him with McLaren. If McLaren requests it, say, hey, one of our two guys cannot drive. May we please use Mick? Mercedes can say, yes, absolutely. Here, go use Mick. He'll have time. He'll have a seat fit in that McLaren already done, ready to go. So that way then it just saves money for drivers, for the teams as well. And you'll typically only see that sharing happening between power units. Sometimes it's a part of the core deal of power units. And sometimes it's individual contracts that are just with the drivers themselves and the team. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have Red Bull who are just Red Bull and they exist under one big umbrella with them and Alpha Tauri. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it definitely worked in Daniel's favor for the first little bit there. And uh, now it's really great for Liam who slicked his hair back and put that helmet on and got in the car. Exactly. And he got to show Red Bull what he's capable of, which that's one of the reasons why a number of these drivers are reserves is that they're part of those junior academies in F2 that, as previously mentioned, teams just want to get a feel for how this driver handles things. And as well, it gives them the opportunity to think Mick over Toto Wolf's shoulder. They get to mm-hmm. be in the F1 paddock. They get to see how the F1 team works, be familiar with the mechanics, the engineers, the pit wall, just understand what's going on a lot better. And it makes that transition for any of those who get lucky enough to jump into a real seat or to get a full-time drive. It makes it easier for them to transition. Totally. Yeah. The one very interesting thing that I love knowing now, though, is teams can only use a maximum of four drivers per year. And after this weekend, Alpha Tauri has filled out all four of those slots. 
Now, Liam Lawson mm. doesn't have a conflict, a schedule conflict until the Mexican GP. That's when he has to go and try to win the Super Formula title, which is a single seater series mm. over in Japan. Kind of a step up from F2, but a step below F1. So if for some reason Daniel's injury isn't healed by then, which realistically it's going to be, but there is always the possibility that they might be forced into calling back Nick DeVries because he's on their roster and he's one of only four drivers that they can call to be in those seats. Well, it would be quite <laughs> a redemption moment for him. And I would honestly, if anybody's good at like performing under unusual circumstances is Nick DeVries. So right? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see I it. The, the reserve drivers just hopping in at a moment's notice is just so commendable because... You know, for Liam Lawson this weekend, Lawson, Liam Lawson, oh, tongue twister. It was his first time driving this version of the Alpha Tauri. He had been in FP1 sessions in previous years. He hadn't had an FP1 session this year yet. In fact, only three seats have had, have fulfilled their rookie driver in FP1 so far. Wow. No, no, three of them, four of them, sorry. So all three of the rookie drivers this year would have counted, that being Nick DeVries, Oscar Piastri, and Logan, Logan Sargent. I believe they all still qualify as rookie drivers. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to give up their seat for an FP1. And then Carlos did his, giving it yeah, up to uh, Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. So four out of 20 of them have fulfilled that. And mm. you see this happening with Danny having this unexpected injury and having to have somebody else put them in the seat. And it kind of makes you wonder... F1 teams, why aren't you putting your reserve drivers into their FP1 slots sooner in some cases? Mm. Because some of them don't have rookies as their reserve drivers, although most of them do, but some of them don't. Like, why wouldn't you give your rookies and your reserve drivers that little bit of experience in the car just in case? Seems smart to me. It does, but I also feel like last year we saw them putting those guys in later in the season when a lot of the points I had already kind of shaken out. And so I don't, I mean, I understand why the teams would want to keep their guys in the car because I still feel like these drivers are still getting to know these cars with the new regs and the new changes that they're bringing to them. So if I, if I was a team bringing in new upgrades, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to shove a reserve driver in the car for FP one so that, because I'd want my driver to be able to, get their hands on a new setup or a new upgrade or whatever. But I'm sure by the end of the season, we'll start to see it. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in Mexico? Oh, Mexico. It's so close, but so far away. I know, but it'll be here before we know it. Honestly, I feel like the season has gone quickly, but also not at the same time in a lot of ways. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to tell us about reserve drivers? Oh, I feel like that covers all the bases. Yeah. But I, yeah, they they just impress me so much when you do get to see them drive. Like George Russell almost getting his first, what was it, winter podium when he mm-hmm. jumped into the Mercedes. Mercedes. Exactly. And that, that's another kind of partnership that I didn't really fully touch on. But sometimes full-time drivers can be reserve drivers for some of the top teams, just depending mm-hmm. on what deal they had. So George was in the Williams full-time, but got called up to do the Mercedes drive because of the specific deal that they had. It just mm-hmm. very interesting. And all contracts are a little different. So, you know, it's yeah. just fun to, to try and keep track of what everyone's doing. <laughs> right. Because I felt like I saw a picture earlier this season of Mick Schumacher 
doing some testing at McLaren, was it? And I exactly. I had the thought like, this is interesting. Because he can be loaned out. And mm-hmm. another important thing as well is that sometimes they have people from other series. So like Stoffel Van Dorn yes. and also I think it's Alex Payou and Padua Ward might be. But yes. one of them is a reserve. One of them is a test driver for McLaren F1 and they drive an Indy car under Chip Ganassi and um, McLaren Indy, Errol McLaren. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the important thing to note is that you do have to have your super license in order to be the reserve driver. Okay. Which is why some F2 drivers would qualify and others might not. Yes. So they can drive an FP1 with having a like special temporary super license, but they do have Mm -hmm. to have a full super license in order to be a reserve driver. And I think that driving an FP1 counts towards their super license because I remember last year they were doing that with Logan so that he would be able to drive this year. They were giving him a lot of Mm -hmm. FP1 time at the end of the season so that he would be, he will have have put in enough hours to qualify for the super license. Yeah. All right. Great formation lap. Woo. Your turn. I'm going to hold on. Let me see if I've got a, got an orange smoke flare under here to just like I'm dead. jump scare everybody. Buck, put that feature in. It's time for the Grand Prix and Caroline telling us about the Netherlands and their fantastic track of Zandvoort. Yes. <laughs> so Circuit Zandvoort actually has a very interesting history because we did not see it in the modern era until 2021 um, because it was supposed to come back on the calendar in 2020, but there was this little thing called the pandemic that hit the world. And so it got canceled in 2020, but circuit Zandvoort or previously known as circuit van Zandvoort when it was originally on the formula one calendar, uh, it was there until 1985 and it's a racing circuit on the North sea coast, just North of Zandvoort, Netherlands. Therefore it is appropriately named the track first opened in 1948 and hosted formula one until 1985. Uh, and then it started to, and then it was called the Dutch Grand Prix again, starting in 2021. But I explained the reason that it didn't come in in 2020 was because of COVID. I have actually learned in some of this research into the history of particularly this track, but also a lot of the other tracks, just how much of a player World War II was in the history of Formula One that I really don't feel like people talk about very much, but it has really played a larger role than a lot of us realize. Prior to World War II, there had been plans for a racetrack in the area and the local club there had held street races in the late 30s. Uh, But the emergence of the war, of course, put all those plans on hold because all the men were being shipped out to fight. So actually the MVP I feel like of Zandvoort's history has got to be the mayor of Zandvoort at the time because he proposed the construction of a road along that seafront. And he said that it was going to be a parade for like a parade for the winners of the war. So he convinced the Germans and everybody else like, oh, well, I have to have people here to build this road because it's going to be a parade for the winner 
of the war. And so everybody was like, all right, cool. So the actual, but really like the actual purpose was to keep the locals from being sent to Germany as slave labor. So he was like saving his people, but it also ended up playing. Yeah. It also ended up playing a pretty, pretty big role into the circuit as we know it today. So by the time, and I'm, I don't have any proof of this, but I think that he like drew it out. I think that because by the time the project was completed, the war was almost over. So I think he was like drawing out the construction of this road and then saw that the end was near. I was like, all right, let's, let's wrap this up. Let's finish this up. <laughs> Sorry. When you said draw, I imagined him like bringing to the Germans, this like doodle being like, this yes. is the water. This is the Brit, not like making it this take is more and more time. <laughs> like, like grew in despicable me when he's like describing his evil plan to the right? bank. And then it's like him on the toilet. And you're like, I didn't write that. <laughs> oh, it's so true. So um, anyways, it was a brilliant plan by the mayor to protect his people, in my opinion. I think that it saved a ton of lives. Um, And then after the war, a track was laid out that incorporated what they called the parade road as the main straight, which is really cool because like it was used to, again, parade the winners. But the winners in Formula One and the winners in racing. And so uh, they used other defense roads that were built by the German army to complete the track. The track was designed by SCH, also known as Sammy Davis. He was a British driver, journalist, and won Le Mans in 1927. Nice. He was the designer of the track. So the track was at first a temporary road circuit that had public access for like most most of the time when it wasn't being used as a active racetrack, uh, increasing speeds and safety issues, most notably the deaths of Pierre Courage and Roger Williamson led the owners to close off the track and add safety barriers, which we are grateful for today because as we saw with Joe this weekend, safety barriers are very important. And after Courage's crash at the, I hope I said this right, Tunnel Oskine, a wide right left chicane was added at the old boss in section for the 1974 race. Then in 1980, a similar chicane was added just before the old Handenblock section. And those were the last changes before 1985 when the last uh, Formula One Grand Prix was raced there until 2021. The circuit had been on some pretty thin ice financially at that time, which was why they stopped going there. Uh, Plans were actually made for the sale of the portion of the land to rebuild the circuit in 1987. So like two years later, they were like, let's sell some of this, maybe bring her back. Those were delayed by the track being declared bankrupt a year later. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was kind of a last-ditch effort to be like, let's keep this alive, and then it died. A new ownership group uh, took over in late 1987 and was able to fund the shorter circuit while waiting for added revenues. Really seems like they played the long game, made sure it was built up, built well, and they waited for a phenom like Max Verstappen to come along, and they said, now now is the time to bring this back. (gasps) So, yeah. Formula One officially raced at Zandvoort from 1952 to 1985, which, fun fact, Nikki Lauda won in 1985 with McLaren and Mm -hmm. then took a brief break and then was scheduled to return in 2020, canceled due to COVID, and then officially reentered in 2021 with Max having been the only person who has won there. 
since it came back post-1985. So they're like running this wonderful new streak of like only the hometown boy has ever won here in the 21st century. So yeah. They don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. But the real MVP was the mayor. The real MVP was the mayor. Shout out to the mayor. And you know what would be really crazy too? If like Mm -hmm. one of Max's ancestors was one of the people that was working on the road. Wouldn't that be crazy cool? I just feel like that would be so cool. That'd be such a full circle moment. And like statistically speaking. Possible. It's possible. Yeah. Because like, you know, how many people aren't born because there's no ancestor right but that's just that that is 100 a conspiracy theory and i don't even know if it can be called that because it's just a wild hair-brained this would be cool and caroline's mind thing so listeners Fun. don't take that as a fact i don't want to see that in a headline i don't want to see it <laughs> fun fact my grandfather tried to enlist in ww2 but he was too young so he had tried to use forged documents Aww. and they'd figured it out and been like no 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 you can't enlist. And so then the war ended before he came of age. Does that make him Captain Canada? I mean, I wish. Um, <laughs> but like this, this, yeah. I mean, he was That's pretty so blind cool. as well. So like he would have um, gotten. Well, that definitely plays a role. <laughs> he had, he had glasses for most of the time for like a long time. But long story short, chances are if he had gone to war, yours truly, who knows? I'm glad you're here, Christina. Right? Listeners, did you know we do a live stream every Monday after each Grand Prix where we review and react to our favorite bits of the race weekend, take questions, and get your thoughts? It's over on our YouTube channel, at GravelTrapF1. The link is in the description of this episode, so while you're listening, head over there, subscribe, and after the next Grand Prix, come join the conversation. We really hope to see you there. All right, Buck, what are we doing today for the, for the checkered flag segment? That's what it is. There it is. <laughs> checkered flag segment. The checkered flag. It's been a whole summer break. Okay, calm down. <laughs> That's a perfect segue into it, ladies, because we have been on a summer break and I, and I, looking at our, our peers in, in the oh. podcasting space, I, I think we took the the most genuine break of breaks. Oh yeah, uh, compared to others, we we really did shut down. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give our listeners a little insight into what you guys were up to. Ooh. What kind of uh, trouble did you get into during oh, this break? This is a great question because I also went pretty quiet over the break. So I feel like this is going to be I feel like insider information with all of our listeners to be like, what did everybody do? This is great. Christina, you go, girl. You went like completely oh off the grid, didn't you? I did. I did. So I, I need to, I need to check my my calendar to be like, what did I actually do? So I didn't have a full, full, full. Well, I kind of did. So I paid attention and I put out like indie car content for like the first week, kind of a thing, while they were still having races. And then I went back to Winnipeg for uh, a wedding. It was very nice. I. Did not take any pictures of myself looking pretty, which I'm kind of mad about. I'm sure you looked Uh, amazing. I would have loved to get a a good record of that. And then I went out to a summer camp, which is where I grew up all of my summers, like a good Canadian. I got shipped out to the woods. (laughs) I got shipped out to the woods to an island in the middle of kind of butt kiss nowhere. 
uh, where when I was growing up, there was no internet there, right? Like we had one landline kind of a thing. And if you wanted to use the internet, you had to like plug your laptop in. They now have Wi-Fi kind of a thing, but still that's where I grew up during the summers, canoeing, uh, running through the bushes for no apparent reason other than running through the bushes. And the big thing there's when a I thrill. became- a, There's a real thrill. There's a thrill. To running there's through real, the bushes. <laughs> there's a thrill. There's animals. It's fantastic. So I went back. I did some volunteering because I spent years working and helping to run that kitchen. So I went back. I helped out. They had a banquet that was, it's like the end of session meal where it's themed. All the kids dress up and it was Mario Kart themed. Oh, So smart. you had to, it was really fun. But you also had to listen to the Princess Peach song on repeat as they were figuring out their sound, their lighting, because they had no. a live performance of it. And that's so not even a long song. Like, so you're just like tortured. Peaches, 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 peaches. And mm -hmm. all of the music soundtrack from the game we were listening to as well, which is very fun, but loses its thrill when you're not actually playing Mario Kart. Valid point. Uh, so I was losing my marbles a little bit by the end of that, but it was really fun. It was really great. Got to see my friends, went on so many boat runs, but that was, that was my summer. I went, Squeaks came on the plane with me. So that was fun for him. It wasn't fun, but he's chilling in an airport now. So that was good to know. Good. But yeah, went out to the Very wilderness. It was Very great. nice. Well, let's see. I... Visited my family a good bit at uh, the beginning of the break. I was feeling like the drivers because my parents live by the coast. So we would go out on the boat and I said, I'm living my best Mick Schumacher and Esteban Ocon life minus the deep V's uh, that they were sporting <laughs> with their shirts. But yeah, it was great. And then I actually went to the podcast movement Um conference in Denver, Colorado this year. Listeners, if any of you guys were there, it was lovely to be there with you. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about podcasting, the future of podcasting, things that of course I'm bringing home to you guys. And I'm excited to like hopefully bring to the listeners and got to meet some of you there. Thanks for coming up and saying hi. That was so fun. I got my hair cut. I know that this is a podcast Ooh. and you probably can't see me. But it got cut, it got chopped, and it's much shorter than I was planning on it being. But I appreciate everyone's kind words. Everybody's made me feel better about it. I, the jury's still out from me on it. But, you know, hair grows. It's what it is. Um, True. Let's see. I mostly spent most of the time looking for silly season content. I was like, I will check it every nothing. day. There was really nothing. And I, I kind of took that as a sign to like not really post very much. So yeah. for those of you that might have been looking for it, I apologize. But I felt like we all deserved a little bit of a cleansing break uh, for our eyeballs yeah. and for our brains. But also I was I want you guys to know I was ready to make it if they were going to come out with some headlines and nothing came out, which I was like, you know what? This is just a sign that I just need to just chill and take, take, take the break. It was, yeah. it was nice. It was relaxing. Got to spend time with my husband and my dog and got to explore Denver a little bit. Denver, your food is excellent. Yeah. And learn more about podcasting came back. It felt both fast and slow. The break. I felt like it went quickly and I feel like we just left, but in the same, in the same time, I felt like for a lot of it, I was like, Okay, but like, when is this going to be over so that we can get back to it? Well, yeah. that sounds exciting. Buck, what were you up to? What was I doing? Yeah. 
I took a break break and completely Good. unplugged. I have been working in the backyard. My girlfriend and I are installing a artificial turf backyard. So it involved moving five yards of gravel wow. from the driveway to the backyard and spreading it out and all that. And then getting a 600 pound roll of turf and cutting it to fit. I thought I'd be funny and did a YouTube short of us working on unrolling the turf and cutting it, but we had to do it in the front yard. And I did a little YouTube short of like, hey, you can just roll your roll your turf out over your, your lawn and nail it in and you're done. And I was joking, because you don't sure. do that. You have a lot of prep work. And I put it on YouTube and within like an hour, I had people <laughs> being like, what a man. He, he's having his woman do all the work and not even helping her while he records videos. Because like, in the video, you see my girlfriend like on her hands and knees ro- unrolling the thing of turf. <laughs> And I was like, okay, that's the internet. Awesome. (laughs) They'll find you, man. They go looking for you. And you're just like, man, find something better to do, please. (laughs) But that's mostly what it is, is is yard work. And uh, to spill a little tea about the gravel trap, uh, Christina, a new member of the gravel trap family, and I are working on a little something and we put it together. It's so exciting. Yes. I can't wait to listen to it. If, if you like open wheel racing in general, then uh, we have something new for you. And that'll mm. be debuting uh, next week. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have my phone finger ready. I'll be your number one fan. Awesome. So part two of the checkered flag is I wanted to hit up some of the listener polls. As oh. uh, roughly half of our listeners know, we have polls on Spotify that you guys can interact with and, and there's a Q&A section there you know we try to get your take on things after every episode yeah and after episode 12 uh the diamond heist uh we asked would adding a third wet tire be exciting or effective and obviously the answers were yes or no 63.6 percent said yes they want to see a third wet tire Interesting. Uh-huh. I agree. I agree with all 63% of you. And you know what? I think George does too, because it's 63% of you. So <laughs> text our friends at Pirelli. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 17 uh, called Deleted uh, from the Austrian GP. Our question was, should spa be pulled from the calendar until safety issues can be addressed? Ooh. This was a split down the middle, 50-50. Okay. That was a, a tough one. Yeah. Well, um, I see both sides. People wanted to see that. Yeah. And I think we all can. We, episode 19, we talked to virtual stat man Sean Kelly. What a king. Something came up during that episode where I guess drivers' heart rates used to be something that was monitored over the telemetry right. stream and you could watch. And we asked, would you want to be able to see the driver's heart rate during a race? A resounding 87.5% of the listeners polled said, yes, they would love to see that yes. on the screen. Interesting. And our final one, episode 21, Living on a Prayer, our uh, most popular episode of the season so far, guys. Which one was that? After the spot race. Um, Do you think Red Bull... I don't know what any of the titles of these episodes are. You should subscribe to the podcast. Um, I am subscribed. You'll you'll get notifications. Buck, you're doing a really great job. I feel like it should be said. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, 
Our question on that episode was, do you think Red Bull slash Max will sweep the rest of the season, win all of the races? Oh, yeah. If there's not a 100% answer on this, I'm calling BS. Well, the the options were uh, yes for sure, not a chance, and the third option was I'm staying out of it. Um, 69% of the people said yes, 15% said not a chance, and 15% said I'm staying out of it. (laughs) 15% 15% of you said not a chance. Out. I'm calling BS. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't know where, hey. what F1 you're watching, yeah. but it's clearly not the one that we are. But oh. listeners, thank you so much for engaging and, and giving us your feedback. It's always interesting and appreciated. It is so fun to hear from you guys. One last thing to touch on, since we talked about it a long time ago, I do keep track of where in the world our listeners come from. <gasps> And right. one thing I noticed is that there has been a weekend and week out battle between London and Seattle for Ooh, being our top cities. Interesting. We crossed the pond. Yeah. Last week, London was on top and because Seattle had been on top for most of the year. And now Seattle is back on top as of today. Okay. Fascinating. Let's, hey, guys, let's keep this competition going. Tell your friends. <laughs> Tell your enemies. Tell everyone. <laughs> To listen to our podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Currently, the top five are Seattle, London, New York City, Toronto, and Vancouver. Okay. Hey! That's yeah. awesome. So much Canada. Oh, that's my God. Warm my little heart. So, but that's all I have for you guys this week. It's so great to be back. Thanks, Woo. Buck. It's good to be back. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Look, I put pictures up. I put more things up. Oh, yeah, look, at that. look at those playbills. Did you like six? So good. Okay, I'm I've heard good things. I haven't seen it, but I have some friends that are in it, but I've heard it's really good. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at GravelTrapF1. Share your love for F1 with us.